we proceed to this question in our consideration of the moral attributes of God. What do we know about the righteousness of God from the Bible? Daniel 9.14 reads, The Lord our God is righteous in all his works which he doeth. We have seen in our consideration of the moral character of God that the assertion God is love sums up its essential essence. Holiness cannot be a constitutional fixity, but must be a voluntary disposition. The abiding choice prevails among the members of the Godhead to devote themselves to the highest well-being and happiness of all beings. This state of love must be absolutely impartial toward all but also must treat the welfare of all moral beings according to the relative worth of each. Thus love dictates that the Godhead shall seek their own welfare first, by virtue of greatness and moral worth. Then secondarily, moral beings, in proportion to their attitudes. Love, then, is the whole of moral character. Holiness as we have seen, involves the idea of veneration and moral esteem. It is descriptive of something and not an essence in itself. Because the Godhead so perpetually and devotedly conduct themselves in total unselfishness, the angelic hosts are in constant worship and adoration, uttering, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. God is said to be holy because of the unending devotion of love to the highest well-being of all. Holiness, then, is an attribute of the essential moral character of love. As soon as any moral being were called forth into existence, God was placed under obligation to oversee their welfare. Thus activity became a, an unceasing reality in unending manifestations of God. Moral government became necessary, which provided a basis of evaluating the character of God by viewing the specific actions that issued forth in God's dealings with his creatures. The prophet Daniel, over 2,500 years ago, expressed his observation thus, the Lord our God is righteous in all his works which he doeth, as was quoted above. Righteousness is thus another attribute of the disposition of love, just as holiness describes the voluntary disposition of love back of all actions, so righteousness describes the many individual actions that issue forth from this disposition of love. In conducting God's responsibilities toward his moral creatures, let us consider a number of scriptures setting forth this great attribute of love. The Bible asserts the righteousness of God most frequently and sets it forth as an enduring and voluntary standard of life that God's nature dictates. It is a course of action toward all flowing from the purposeful love of God. We consider first Exodus chapter 9 and verse 27. Here even ungodly Pharaoh of Egypt was obliged to declare 
God's righteousness. And Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said unto them, I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous, and I and my people are wicked. Entreat the Lord, and so forth. And so Moses had this dealing with this important individual. In Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 4, Moses summed up God's ways as a pathway of truth, free from all wrong actions. He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are judgment, a God of truth without iniquity. Just and right is he. What a wonderful summary of the righteous conduct and actions of God. In the day of the judges, God was often praised for his deliverance. For example, as we read in the fifth chapter and verses 3 and verse 11, thus, Hear, O ye kings, give ear, O ye princes. I, even I, will sing unto the Lord. I will sing praise to the Lord God of Israel. And verse 11, They that are delivered from the noise of archers in places of drawing water, there shall they rehearse the righteous acts of the Lord, even the righteous acts toward the inhabitants of his villages in Israel. Then shall the people of the Lord go down to the gates. So there they were rehearsing the righteous acts of the Lord. But the great prophet Samuel reasoned with the people of Israel as he reproved them for their ingratitude. In 1 Samuel chapter 12 and verses 6 and 7 we read, And Samuel said unto the people, It is the Lord that advanced Moses and Aaron, and that brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Now therefore stand still, that I may reason with you before the Lord of all the righteous acts of the Lord, which he did to you and to your fathers. Isn't it wonderful that the truth of the living God is reasonable, and that if folk were really reasonable in their thinking, they would be bound to be Christians. They would be certainly under deep obligation to come to the righteous God, forsake their sins, and find the wonderful relationship that the gospel promises. In Second Chronicles chapter 12 and verses 5 and 6, we read about Shishak, king of Egypt, as he was allowed to make conquests against Israel in response to Israel's sin. And they repented. Israel repented, truly, and declared God was righteous. When God saw this, he modified his purposes. There we read. Then came Shemaiah, the prophet of Rehoboam, and to the princes of Judah that were gathered together unto Jerusalem, because Shishak had said unto them, Thus saith the Lord, Ye have forsaken me, and therefore have I also left you in the hands of Shishak. Whereupon the princes of Israel and the king humbled themselves, and they said, The Lord is righteous. And when the Lord saw that they humbled themselves, the word of the Lord came to Shemaiah, saying, They have humbled themselves. Therefore I will not destroy them, but I will grant them some deliverance, and my wrath shall not be poured out upon Jerusalem by the hand of Shishak. Here we have the declaration of the righteousness of the Lord 
And how wonderful is this summary. Isn't it profound that we have a great God in the heavens whose works are above criticism? That's what these many passages declare. In Ezra 9 and verse 15, we read a declaration likewise. Here Ezra had been praying, and Israel were permitted to return to the land after captivity. There he declared God's righteous dealings and mercies. O Lord God of Israel, thou art righteous, for we remain yet escaped. As it is this day, behold, we are before thee in our trespasses, for we cannot stand before thee because of this. How good, we read in the next verse of God's response. Now when Ezra had prayed, and when he had confessed, weeping and casting himself down before the house of God, there assembled unto him out of Israel a very great congregation of men and women and children, for the people wept very sore. What an illustration of the repentance that must take place in the human heart if God is to show his favorable love and forgiveness and bountiful blessing. May many turn in response to the pleadings of the gospel is the only prayer we can utter. Nehemiah also rehearsed the righteousness of God after the walls of Jerusalem had been restored. As we read in the ninth chapter of his book, verses 7 through 10, Thou art the Lord, the God who didst choose Abram and broughtest him forth out of Ur of the Chaldees and gave him the name of Abraham and foundest his heart faithful before thee and madest a covenant with him to give thee land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Parasites, and the Jebusites, and the Girgashites, to give it, I say, to this seed, and hast performed thy words, for thou art righteous, and didst see the affliction of our fathers in Egypt, and heardest their cry by the Red Sea, and showest signs and wonders upon Pharaoh, and upon all his servants, and all the people of his land, for thou knewest that they dwelt proudly against them. So didst thou get thee a name as it is this day. And so as Nehemiah rehearsed the wonderful works of God, the only summary that could be made were the words, Thou art righteous. In the 36th chapter of the book of Job, verses 2 and 3, Elihu is conversing with Job and declaring the wonderful mercy and righteousness of God. And thus he says, Suffer me a little, and I will show thee that I have yet to speak on God's behalf. I will fetch my knowledge from afar, and will ascribe righteousness to my Maker. What a text this is, to ascribe righteousness to our Maker. Certainly the consciences of men cannot do otherwise but describe righteousness to the great God who sustains the universe and manifests his kindness day by day. We now consider a number of passages from the Psalms, and there we find very frequently the worshipful attitude of devout men when the goodness and righteous actions of God were considered. For example, the 11th Psalm and verse 7, For the righteous Lord loveth righteousness, his countenance doth behold the upright. The righteous Lord loveth righteousness. And in the 25th Psalm, and verse 8, 
we read these words. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore will he teach sinners in the way. And in the 36th Psalm, verses 9 and 10, For with thee is the fountain of life. In thy light shall we see light. O continue thy loving kindness unto them that know thee, and thy righteousness to the upright in heart. So God's reaction to man's attitude toward him is very profound in the manifestation of his kindness and mercy. And thus we have considered a few passages and shall have to continue in our next visit. How wonderful! is the concept that there is a great God of the universe who is perfectly righteous in all his works. May we pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we sinners have pondered again and again the failings and sinfulness of our lives, how we thank thee that there is a standard in the world to which we may come. How we thank thee that thou hast manifested the standard of thy conduct, which is perfectly righteous in all its actions, and how it has brought conviction to us, and many of us have repented, come to the Lord Jesus Christ, and found forgiveness through faith in his death. We pray that many more may respond to this day to the glorious pleadings of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.